With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and we'll be hearing from Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson in just a little bit. But before we get to anything, obviously, Happy New Year's, and here's hoping that uh, 2023 is prosperous and healthy and and all that other good stuff for all of our listeners, and ourselves, obviously. <laughs> Um, so our top prospect list for 2023, it's starting right now as we speak. Today is Monday, January 2nd, and the very first player on that list, number 25, William Lugo, his profile was posted today, and we'll be counting down from there over the next couple of weeks. This week, we are all going to be discussing our individual sleeper prospects, the players who we were highest on, on our individual lists who didn't make the collective list. Now, in the past, we discussed guys that just missed making it onto our top 25 lists as our sleeper prospects. But I think doing it like this, guys who actually did make it onto those lists but did make the collective top 25, I think that's a better indicator of who we are individually high on and you know who we think are going to be up-and-coming players. Uh, that's probably a better definition of sleeper. So for me, that guy is right-handed pitcher Jonah Tong. Uh, the Mets selected him with their seventh-round pick 
in the 2022 MLB draft last year. He was the 209th player selected overall. Uh, his full name, Jonah Reed Tin Chi Matthew Tong. He was uh, he is an Ontario, Canada native. He attended Bill Crothers Secondary School in Markham, which is a city about 30 miles from Toronto. And then he transferred to Georgia Premier Academy in Statesboro, Georgia for his senior le- year last year. That's one of those weird um, sports schools that you know gets gets its accreditation from a third party, but it mainly is like focusing on uh, – uh, it, it's a sports boarding school, one of those kinds of things basically. Uh, so after graduating or basically right at the end of, of his senior year last year, right before graduating, he also pitched for the Frederick Keys. And the Keys are a former uh, Baltimore Orioles high A affiliate. They got cut loose after the minor league realignment of 2021, and they became one of the MLB draft league teams. So he made four appearances with them, three starts, and he posted a 1080 ERA in 11.2 innings, allowing 14 hits, walking 10, and striking out 14. So not all that impressive, um, but it is important to keep in mind that he was one of about uh, a dozen teenagers who played in that league last season. He was a bit younger than the league average because the league average is basically a bunch of uh, secondary level college players who are in the league to kind of get attention on them prior to get to, to prior to either going back to college or prior to the draft. So when the Mets drafted Tong, he needed to decide between either going pro, obviously, or going to North Dakota State University, where he had a commitment to. And if he went there, he would be eligible to get drafted again in 2024. And he weighed the pros and the cons. And basically, he decided that taking the deal with the Mets um, would basically be in his best interests for his career. And, you know, related, obviously, financially. And he signed for the exact slot value for his pick which was $225,800. Mets technically signed him to the Florida Complex League Mets last season, but he didn't actually pitch. Um, he was he was actually the only prep pitcher that the Mets drafted last season, so we don't have any other guys to compare him to. But if we take a look back a little further down and look at the 2021 draft, the Mets uh, only drafted one prep pitcher, one one prep player period actually and they kept him out the entire season too so it seems like that's currently the organizational imperative right now prep pitchers don't pitch immediately and that other prep pitcher was calvin ziegler by the way and he will be referenced uh a little bit in the next few minutes but uh jonathan so what do the mets see in him to make him their seventh round pick, and what do I see him see in him that you know makes him makes me think he's a sleeper? Um, he's got a classic projectionable frame, six one hundred eighty pounds. He pushes off the mound well. He gets good extension. There is some effort in his delivery, and that does impact his command and control. But at the present, I wouldn't say that that effort is like a major catastrophic unfixable red flag or anything like that i was looking at video of of him pitching with the keys and i know it sounds weird 
to say this, that his mechanics remind me of someone who basically has one of the most unorthodox and unrepeatable mechanics over the last, like, decade or two. But Jonathan's delivery reminds me a lot of Tim Lincecum, and I would definitely recommend any of the listeners right now to, you know, queue up some of the video of Tong pitching and queue up some video of Lincecum pitching because they both have some big leg kicks, a little bit of a twist, long arm action through the back, really great push off the mound, and and obviously with Tim Lincecum especially, insane extension off of it. And um, a relatively low release point relative to throwing from a, a high three-quarter slot because of the uh, drop and drive off the mound. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that Jonah Tong is going to become Tim Lincecum. You know, if Tong could have a quarter of the career that Lincecum had, that would be awesome. Because a quarter of Tim Lincecum's career is basically like uh, one all-star game, one top 10 Cy Young finish. You know, if Jonah Tong could have one all-star game and one top 10 Cy Young career, uh, that would be a pretty awesome career. Great outcome from that, from uh, his pick. But um, back to back to Tong. His fastball sits uh, low to mid-90s. You could definitely see that improving in a couple of years as he ages and he grows and he gets stronger. Uh, the pitch has a high spin rate. And then combine that with the flat vertical approach angle that it has from his release point. It's very effective up in the zone. Complements it with a curveball and a changeup. The former of which is really good. And the latter... Mm, not so much right now. Curveball sits in the high 70s. Big 12-6 movement. Um, since he pitched in the MLB Draft League, we have some StatCast data. And his curveball has been measured as high as 2,800 RPM. Now, the Major League average for a curveball last year was basically 2,500. So it is flashing above average spin, and that's good. It gives it power drop. Issue with that is he telegraphs the pitch actually noticeably sometimes. Um, he brings his arm up a lot, and he throws it at a much higher slot and release point. But, you know, he is, you know, 18-19, doesn't have any professional coaching, and that's something that very easily could be worked on with professional coaches. Um, you know, there are guys that still have that kind of issue after going professional. So I'm not going to say that that's something that can be eliminated entirely, but definitely something that could be worked on. Uh, his changeup, something that needs to be worked on. It sits in the low 80s, still pretty firm right now, but it does flash potential. Um, in the draft league, it had a high swing and miss rate. And again, it wasn't against prep hitters who are nowhere on his level. It had a high swing and miss rate against college-aged hitters, most of whom are older than him. So you definitely could see that pitch coming along and turning into, you know, maybe an average or better pitch with some professional coaching. So I mentioned Calvin Ziegler before, and there are definitely some parallels between him and Jonathan. Obviously, they are, are both Canadians, so that impacted their their travel ball and their high school baseball opportunities. And they both moved to the U.S. in their final high school years to basically um, maximize their their draft potential. Um, both have similar fastballs um, in terms of 
velocity bands and approach angle uh, change-ups are both equally raw with potential. I guess Ziggler's is a little more advanced right now just by virtue of him having uh, a year of professional coaching and everything under his belt, whereas Tong does not. Biggest difference between the two of them is their curveball. Um, they both have curveballs, obviously, but they are really fundamentally different pitches. Ziegler's curveball it has a really low spin rate, which is actually uh, you know reading reading up about low spin rate curves. It's pretty interesting, but his curveball it averaged um, 2,170 RPM last season, so that gives it basically big loopy break. And in addition, you know, to getting the swings and misses on that, it also induces a lot of um, weak fly balls. If you look at his Fangraphs page, Ziegler, look at his infield fly ball rate. It is very high. Um, so definitely doing what needs to be done. Tong's curveball, on the other hand, like I said, it has um, above average spin rates topping out at 2,800 RPM. Those kinds of, uh, of curveballs have power break that get tons of ground balls. So, I see a lot of potential in Tong. Um, I had him ranked 17 overall on my list. Uh, he was basically, all of the guys in, in the mid to late teens are a bunch of raw but talented teenagers down in the low levels of the minor leagues. So, you know, Tong is definitely a high-variance, high-risk uh, player. Definitely a bunch of different ways that things go in the next calendar year. He could have a good season, um, and if he does, maybe he enters closer to the top 10. Maybe he even sneaks into the top 10 if there's a bunch of um, graduations from the system and or trades next season. If he has a bad year, I could see him dropping off the list entirely, maybe forever, who knows, or if he recovers just for next season's prospect list. But, you know, that is the... the that's the, the, the perils of young, talented, but high-variance guys like this, you know. At this point, their careers can go in a lot of different ways. Giving him a little edge also, he is on the record saying that Revenge of the Sith is his favorite Star Wars movie. So, clearly, he is a fellow man of culture as well. So, yeah, Jonathan, I think that he is a sleeper, and he is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Lucas is not here this week. He's not available. He has some very important school stuff that he needs to finish, and we all wish him good luck with that. Um, so his slooper was Zach Green, who the Mets just acquired a couple of weeks ago in the Rule 5 draft. Green has had a kind of convoluted path to professional baseball. Uh, after graduating high school, first he went to UNC Asheville. He didn't pitch there too much. And he really wasn't that great either when he did pitch. So he transferred for his sophomore year to St. John's River State College in Palataka, Florida, which is about 50 miles from Jacksonville, which is where he's from. And he was basically a big fish in a small pond there. And he posted a very good ERA, 0.92 ERA in 29.1 innings, over 25 relief appearances with 23 hits allowed, 15 walks, and 46 strikeouts. His performance did not get him drafted by a team in the 2016 draft, but it did get him recruited by a new D1 team. 
So he transferred to the University of South Alabama for his junior season, and he was pretty good. He posted a 3.79 ERA in 57 innings over 23 appearances with 53 hits, 13 walks, and 80 strikeouts. Um, he did get drafted by a major league team, the Marlins. They drafted him in the 15th round of the 2018 draft, but he turned them down and he went back to school for his senior year. And he had another good season with the Jaguars. Uh, he posted a 145 ERA in 49.2 innings over 27 appearances with 35 hits allowed, eight walks and 70 strikeouts. And that led him getting selected by the Yankees in the eighth round of the 2019 draft. But as a senior, you know, he he had no leverage, so he signed for just $17,500. He pitched for the GCL Yankees and the Staten Island Yankees that summer. He's pretty good. Um, then obviously he missed 2020 because of COVID. And then in 2021, he pitched for the Hudson Valley Renegades and the Somerset Patriots, uh, the Yankees' high A and double A affiliates. And he posted between those two teams a combined 317 ERA in 59.2 innings over 34 appearances with 39 hits, 21 walks, and 91 strikeouts. This past season, he pitched for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, the Yankees' triple A affiliate. And he posted a 3.42 ERA in 68.1 innings, allowing 58 hits, walking 32, and striking out 96. And he was left off of their 40-man roster and was selected by the Mets in Rule 5 draft, like I said earlier. So on the surface, it would be easy to say that Green is kind of uh, a flash in the pan, uh, a product of the minor league environment. Um, you know, his fastball, it's just like 90 to 93, and his changeup is still kind of developing pitch. So he's mainly a two-pitch pitcher, a fastball slider guy, and he gives up a lot of hard contact. So, you know, is that the kind of pitcher that's going to survive on a major league roster? Mm. If you look deeper, if you look under the surface stats and look into some of the analytical things, okay, it... it gets a little better you'll see that his his fastball has a really high spin rate it's been measured as high as 2500 rpm and it also has a low vertical approach angle because he drops off the mound and drives um with a lot of extension is a very low release point so those are two things working in his favor in regards to the fastball and his slider it has that sweepy break that a lot of recent research has demonstrated, has shown that, you know, it's very effective lately and he gets a lot of outs with it, either via strikeout or just via um, weak contact. So Lucas thinks that those those pitch characteristics that Green has give him a decent chance to have some MLB success in some capacity. Um, You know, that modicum of success that he's had in the upper minors with Somerset and Scranton, he has had about 100 innings or so in total with a roughly a 350 ERA, um, three and a half walks per nine. That's kind of eh, but 13 strikeouts per nine. That's pretty great. The jump now to the majors this is his last test. And, you know, obviously it's not a one for one transaction. Um, you know, Success in AA, success in AAA does not equal success in, in the major leagues. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be a lot more major leaguers out there. But 
there's a track record of success in the upper in the upper minors, and you know that that bodes well, hopefully, for his future as a major leaguer. You'd rather see the success in Double A AA and Triple A than not having any success at all. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this: for the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to five percent to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get two hundred and fifty dollars when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com/easy. Ramp.com/easy. R-A-M-P.com/easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ken is not available either this week. He's got some family in town and we all know how that goes. But his sleeper pick was Junior Talian. Uh Junior, he has been in the system for a couple of years now. He was signed during the 2019 to 2020 international free agent signing period. He signed for $185,000, which was a little less than what scouts thought he would get at first. Um, you know, professional teams always have leverage and power over these these kids, these families from the Caribbean. You know, they're invariably, usually, not always, but usually poor. So, you know, the teams always have the power and leverage. And basically every deal is a bargain for the team when you think about it. You know, even a guy that makes... The major leagues in the most minimal capacity possible and is just barely a replacement player he's still providing positive value and the team getting positive value out of a player who signed for a couple of thousand dollars you know that's that's a win for the uh for the team but um to Leon, you know his his deal is a bargain and in his case specifically it might be an even even bigger bargain because he has looked a lot he looked a lot better basically um when when the Mets scouts you know finally had him in Mets camp and were able to give him a, a better look his hit tool looked a lot better than it had earlier when he was still a quote unquote free agent you know because we all know how these deals in the IFA market go but um, that that might have been why they were very aggressive with him because obviously you know he missed he did, he didn't play in twenty twenty nine in twenty nineteen because he was just too young and then obviously he missed twenty twenty because of COVID so his first assignment came in twenty twenty one and the Mets were aggressive with him they decided to send him to the complex and skip him over the DSL completely 
And, you know, the, the faith in him might have been real and expectations high, whatever, but he did struggle. Um, Tilly and hit 165, 223, 233 in 32 games. No homers, no stolen bases, and six walks to 24 strikeouts. He didn't let that struggle bring him down. Um, as we spoke about a little bit last year in the case of Adrian Hernandez, who struggled and those struggles seemed to cause him to spiral, I guess is, is the best way of saying it. I mean, look at his career now. It's basically over. Uh, obviously, I think there might have been there, there might have been more to it than that. But point is, um, he, those struggles did not basically make him uh, down and out. He was impressive during spring training this past season, and the Mets elected to send him to St. Lucie. Now, you know, a, a young guy like that being sent to St. Lucie, worst case scenario, he struggles again. And then when the FCL team starts in in June, the team sends him to the FCL complex. So whatever, no big deal. Talian, he did not struggle. Uh, in his first two months at the St. Lucie Mets, he hit 260, 317, 466 with seven homers, two stolen bases, and 11 walks to 29 strikeouts. So that is really good. And the home runs came in bunches. Uh, he did have a one three home run game, which is impressive no matter what level you're playing at. Um, Junior did slow down in the second half. He hit 245, 311, 370 with five home runs, one stolen base, and 19 walks to 53 strikeouts. But all in all, it was a very good year. He hit a cumulative 248, 312, 406 in 84 games with 12 home runs, three stolen bases, and 30 walks to 81 strikeouts. It was a slightly above average um, offensive player in the in the St. Lucie Mets uh, lineup, and was one of only four Mets players in this system who got double-digit home runs and were um, 20 years of age or younger, along with William Lugo, Francisco Alvarez, and uh, Alexander Ramirez. Um, to Leon, he only has average bat speed, but he does have strong wrists, and he does have good hand-eye coordination, so he does make a lot of contact, and he puts the ball in play. And, you know, when you put the ball in play, especially in the minor leagues, <laughs> anything could happen. He averaged uh, 85.7 miles per hour exit velocity on all the balls that he hit, uh, oh, excuse me, all the balls that he put in play last year. 31 of those um, had exit velocities of 100 or higher. And five had exit velocities of 105 or higher. Um, he logs 52 singles. They averaged 87.5 miles an hour. He had 13 doubles. They averaged 97.2. He had one triple. That averaged 96.4. And his 12 home runs averaged exactly 100 miles an hour. Uh, he's... He is tall and he's he's lanky. Uh, he's listed 6'1", 170 pounds, and he definitely looks at 170 pounds. So he should continue adding uh, muscle mass and power, and you know, hopefully those home run numbers grow. Now, before he signed with the Mets officially, uh, scouting services and evaluators that saw him, they kind of figured he was going to be a third baseman or might even be an outfielder. But the Mets, I don't want to say were stubborn and stupid. That's not the right word. But they they had faith. That's a much nicer way of putting it. 
and they were higher on uh, Junior's uh, defensive abilities. And so far, <laughs> surprisingly, given some of the Mets' uh, track record, especially the pre-Cohen days when their scouting and analytics um, departments were not as large as they are now, but surprisingly, they, they've got it right. Um, they see him as a shortstop long-term, and the two years that he's been playing professionally, he's been mostly playing it short, and he really has not done anything to make people think that he won't be able to stay there. His speed is about average. He has an above-average arm, so you know he does have the range and the arm to play at uh, shortstop. And if he fills in, yeah, he might have to move off the position, but, you know, big shortstops do exist. I mean, move up a couple of levels and you'll see Ronnie Mauricio, who is um, a big shortstop. <laughs> um, so, you know, even if even if Talian does fill in, you know, it's not a guarantee that he is going to have to move all shortstop. So a guy with, uh, at least in lower minors so far, the ability to put the ball in play and hit for a lot of power at shortstop is it's a good combination. And Ken likes him because he was roughly a league average hitter, you know, a little bit better, despite being two years younger than um, the the average for the level. He he showed a bit of pop. He had a 158 ISO. He showed a decent walk rate. Uh, he had a 8.5% walk percentage. And if he could eliminate a couple of the strikeouts and make a little bit more contact, you know, the Mets could have another highish upside international success and it's not really too outlandish to think that that's not something he can prove um you know given how young and inexperienced he is next season is gonna it is gonna be a big test in that regard because he's gonna start seeing now a lot more former college pitchers who have decent breaking balls and you know i could see him struggle because he's never been exposed to that kind of stuff but at the same time, as raw as he is, you know, he didn't dominate Florida State League pitching, but he did hold his own and then some. So, you know, why not? Uh, why, why can't the same thing happen in the South Atlantic League when he's another year older and wiser and has some more baseball uh, experience underneath his belt? And finally now, last but not least, Thomas. And Thomas is not available this episode as well but he was high on christian scott and scott is from coconut creek which is a great name i really have to say it's a great name for a town in florida and apparently also it's the butterfly capital of the world which is kind of cool i guess uh the world's largest butterfly aviary is there it has 80 different species of butterflies and about 20,000 individual butterflies in captivity there so that actually sounds like a cool place to visit if i'm ever if I'm ever in Florida and I happen to find myself in Coconut Creek, I would definitely uh, visit the Butterfly Aviary. But anyway, um, Christian, Christian Scott, he attended Calvary Christian High School. He graduated in 2018 and he went to the University of Florida. Very typical Florida man. Uh, his freshman year there, he was um, he led the team in appearances. He made 22 appearances. He started four games, and he pitched out of the bullpen in 18. And he posted a 519 ERA in 50, exactly 52 innings, allowing 54 hits, walking 18, and striking at 44. He was a lot better as a reliever than he was as a starter. Basically, he, he halved his ERA. 
So in 2020, he was used exclusively out of the bullpen, and his 2020 season started off well in Florida, uh, excuse me, in, in February and early March, but, you know, uh, 2020 happened. So he was eligible to be drafted in that draft but uh, because of his age, but since the draft was so short and abbreviated, he, he wasn't selected. So he went back to... to um, University of Florida for his junior season. And he appeared in 26 games that year. He made one start and the rest were uh, out of the bullpen. And he posted an even three ERA in 54 innings, allowing 46 hits, walking nine, and striking at 51. And the Mets liked what they saw. And in the 2021 draft, they selected him with their fifth round selection and they signed him for $350,000. He made a handful of appearances for the FCL Mets that summer, but basically his professional career started this year in earnest. Um, along with all those other college pitchers that the Mets drafted in the middle rounds of the 2021 draft, Scott started in St. Lucie. He was used intermittently as a starter and a reliever. He pitched a total of 37 innings in St. Lucie, uh, over 12 games total, so four starts. <laughs> and eight uh, relief appearances, and he posted a 4.82 ERA with 40 hits allowed, 12 walks, and 52 strikeouts. He was promoted to Brooklyn in mid-August. He finished the season there, and he posted a 3.80 ERA in 21.1 innings over five starts and one relief outing, with 21 hits allowed, 10 walks, and 25 strikeouts. So all in all, in his first professional season, low A and high A, he posted a 4.45 ERA in 58.2 innings with 61 hits allowed, 22 walks, and 77 strikeouts. Scott has a presence on the mound. He's 6'4", 215. He definitely could be a starter if that's what they want him to be. Um, he he has the physicality for it. He throws from a three-quarter arm slot, but there is some effort. His landing is a little stiff. Uh, there's a head whack. There's some effort in his arm. And he'll have, because of that, he'll have spurts with the command. Um, looks fine. And then he'll have spurts where, you know, he's walking like two guys in three innings, four guys in five innings, that kind of thing. Um, he's mainly a two-pitch pitcher. He's mainly a sinker slider guy. Occasionally, he throws a four-seam fastball, a cutter, a changeup, but really none of those are used much if at all um his sinker it ranges 92 to 96 it averages 95 uh, 94 miles an hour it has a lot of movement and it's hard for hitters to square up on and make good contact but it doesn't really get too many whiffs um optimally he would get more ground balls with it um but he gets a lot of weak in infield fly balls instead and I mean, I guess it's six of one thing, half dozen of another, because for every ground ball that a player hits that you say, okay, well, ground ball is more likely to be an out, you know, something's going to get past the fielder. For every weak infield fly ball that a guy hits, you're like, okay, well, it's an infield fly ball, whatever, it's an out, you know. There's always, uh, you know, hitting it where they ain't and, and dying quails and all that stuff. So I guess, you know, it really doesn't make too much of a difference. Uh, his slider, that is where he gets the strikeouts. It sits 82 to 85, averaging 83, 
and it tunnels very well to his fastball. It has a sharp, late two-plane bite, anywhere between one to seven inches of horizontal movement and forty, excuse me, thirty-six to forty-three inches of vertical drop. And he mainly throws it to his glove side. He'll get right-handers to chase down and away with it. He does also use it occasionally against left-handers, though, backfooting it against them. Uh, against left-handers, that's mainly where his changeup comes in. It's still a developing pitch. He he really doesn't use it much. Um, you know, he he's mainly a 50-50 fastball slider guy. But when he does use the changeup, it is uh, against left-handers to just basically keep him honest and and get him chasing. It sits 82 to 84, but it's it's pretty firm. There's not a lot of uh, tumble to it. It does tunnel well with his two seamer. And he does keep his arm speed. Uh, he he maintains his arm speed pretty well. So there's definitely potential for him to develop it more if they choose to um, go in that direction where he's going to need a third pitch. And that is what makes him kind of interesting. I don't know what Thomas specifically likes about Scott, but from my point of view, there's a lot of ways that his career can go. Um, he has the body to be a starter. He has the repertoire to be a starter. He just needs to... Improve that changeup, definitely, and maybe you know, um, mix in more, maybe a more well-defined cutter, or maybe a couple of more well-defined curveballs in addition to the slider. But um, there's definitely a potential to be a starting pitcher. He also has experience pitching out of the bullpen, and his two-pitch mix already um, has demonstrated against college pitchers and minor leaguers in, in low A and high A that it could work. So presumably we'll see him in Binghamton next year. So not only will his stuff get that, you know, double A is a good enough test, but I guess we'll see what kind of role the Mets are, are interested in going forward with him in. All right. Well, uh, that was a mouthful. <laughs> So if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you can send me an e- send us an email at fromcomplextoqueens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, I'm going to go have a very nice cold glass of water. And love the Mets. Love the Mets.